0: Tonight, I wanted to, to continue our series theme, but step out of the chronology of what we've been doing. We've sort of been working in a chronological fashion, and so we're going to back up just a little bit to, to hit something that I think tonight is, uh, is important for us to get, um, the, sort of the, the context around where we are tonight. Uh, if, if you were here last Sunday morning, you know we were in John 13. Which is was about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the Last Supper, and all that. And then last Sunday night we were in John 17, which is uh, Jesus praying for uh, both his disciples, for himself, for the, for us, and so on. Tonight we're going to sort of hit right in the middle of that. And so this this uh, this happens uh, this this story that we'll talk about uh, really all, just all words of Jesus. And so I'm not going to try to recap every single word that he that he spoke during this passage, but He's on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's late Thursday night. He has finished the, the last supper with his disciples. And the, so they're taking this walk, this walk to the garden. And, and uh, he's teaching them a few last things. John is the only one who records all of this. And he gives us a pretty full version of what takes place. And so Jesus, as they sort of walk and talk along the way, he's, he's kind of unloading his mind. Here's all the things that he wants to sort of get across to them, these last lessons to teach and one of the one of the things sort of a theme in all of this from from John fourteen through about seventeen or so is Jesus sort of preparing the disciples for the time when he 's not going to be there and it, maybe you 've had that experience before maybe you 've had a a boss who was moving on to another job or who was retiring or something like that, and that last week is just frantic. They're just, here you go, you've got to learn this, and you've got to get this. Maybe you're replacing them, or, or maybe you're going to have to kind of pick up the slack while they're gone on vacation, whatever it may be. But, but Jesus is sort of giving them a, a crash course on here's what you've got to know, here's how to be ready for the time that I'm gone. And so in John 14, he talks about that he's leaving to go and prepare a place for them, and, and that don't, don't let your heart be troubled, though, because I'm going to prepare a place and I'm coming back. and I'm going to come and get you. And, and I have given you the way to get to God. And so he talks about that a little bit. And, and he tells them about the Holy Spirit who's going to come to be uh, their, their counselor, their comfort, uh, and he promises peace. And he, and he explains in John 14, at the end of it, he says, I, I leave you peace, but it's not like the world gives, that comes and goes based on circumstances. Or is just in the hands of some ruler who, at a whim, could start another war. But he says, "It's different than that. I give you my peace. It's everlasting." And Paul would later describe it as peace that goes beyond words. It goes beyond understanding. And so that's sort of where we pick it up. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be tonight. So if you've got a Bible and want to turn there, uh, we're going to we're going to look and we'll kind of jump around just a little bit because I <clears throat> I want to try to show you as best I can sort of about what I think is the, the verse on which everything sort of hinges. And then so a, as a result of that, we're going to kind of piece in before and after everything that, that takes place as, as best we can. And so as, we, as we've talked throughout this series, we're looking at the words of Jesus, which reveal His heart, which reveal His will for us. And so in John 15, I want you to look first at verse 11. As I said, I think this sort of forms, at least in some sense, a hinge point for this particular passage of Scripture. And Jesus says here in verse 11, he says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Anytime you, uh, just a, a Bible study tidbit here, this is one of the things I'm learning. Anytime you see you know, some verse or passage that stands out and says, okay, here's the reason I just said that, then then obviously you can sort of start there and figure out, well, here's, here's why I just said all that. It, it, it would be as if somebody's explaining something to you, you get a lecture of some sort, and they say, no, I told you that because here's what you're going to face. Uh, your boss at work explains something to you. Look, you're going to run into this problem, so that's why I just told you all of that stuff. Remember that. So that's kind of the same scenario we have here with Jesus. He says, look, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So those are his words. That's sort of the foundation we'll build off of tonight, which reveal his heart to us, which I believe just in general terms is is something along this line, that that he is for us and that, that he knows what's best. He, he tells us these things so that His joy may be in us and our joy may be made complete because He's for us and He knows what's best. So The, the obvious question then is what are the things that he, that he told them? What was He talking about? What did He have to say? What were the things that would put His joy in them? What were the things that would make their joy complete? The were joy is sometimes kind of hard to understand, but... You know, we equate it a lot of times with happiness, I guess, things like that. But, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Obviously, you know that biblical joy is, is not tied to any circumstance, any stage of life, any situation, anything that happens that's good, anything that happens that's bad. It's, it's God dwelling inside of you in such a way that regardless of the circumstances... You're at peace with God. You're at peace with yourself. You're at peace with what's going on. And there's something inside of you that still gets excited about who God is and what He's doing, regardless of whether or not the world is crumbling around you. Some of you have experienced that. You know, I, I I look around and see faces, and I know some stories, and 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 I know that some of you have faced times when the world just fell apart, and you you never expected it. It wasn't what you were looking for. It just it just happened. And and yet through that, I know your stories to a certain extent as well. To know that many of you face that and there was certain sadness and sorrow but underlying and sort of strengthening all that was some joy that you found in the Lord because you knew that because of him there was some hope like we talked about this morning and so that whole this whole concept of your joy being made complete it just signifies to me that God's for us that Jesus is telling them these things not so when when you do this I've already told you and now I get to smack you upside the head you know that's not what he's talking to he said my, my, my purpose in giving you all this is so that I can put my joy in you. And as a result your joy can be made complete. He's for us. And, and because He's God, He knows what's best. And so that then points us to what His will is. And I want us to look at, at the first uh, few verses here in chapter 15 which will sort of set up for us what Jesus uh, talks about being His will. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine... And my father is the vineyard keeper. Now, just to kind of pause and set this up, they probably on their way to the garden would have passed by or been surrounded by a lot of vines and different things like that. So this doesn't come out of nowhere for the disciples. This was very common back during that time. So he's just using, kind of picking out something. Hey, you know, see that? That's kind of the way I am. You see that vine over there? That, that's, that's who I am. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. Now, we could stop there and, and look at the things in our lives and just understand that sometimes that God's purpose for us is to prune just a little bit so that we can be more productive in the long run. I'm not going to try to get into all that because that's a whole other Bible study all on its own and a lot of deep theological information I'm sure that we could discover. But the truth is that, that a lot of times what God is doing in our lives hurts doesn't make a whole lot of sense but ultimately he's always working for our good and I tell you that scriptures and verses like this really sort of just helped me take that next step toward him in those times because I've had times when I thought God what what was that (laughs) why Um, you know that hurt I really don't understand that and yet I discovered that it was so I could produce more fruit verse 3 you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to, pr- to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. So his, his words, I've, I've said these things so that you may have my joy and that your joy may be made complete. Reveal his heart that he's for us, that he knows what's best, which reveal his will. Here's what he's shooting for in this passage of Scripture. Verse 4 sort of sums it up remain in me and I in you. And then he, he sort of gives us a word picture. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, yeah, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you Neither can you unless you remain in me. So his, his will is for us to remain in him, feeding off of him and off of his love. And we'll discover a little bit more about this in the process. And so, Uh, there's some things about what he's looking for us to do that that sort of describe what we are to do, what this remaining in him means. What is is he talking about when he says that? Look at verse 14. You are my friends. Maybe you've heard this before. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Part of us remaining in him, feeding off of him, is simply obeying what he says. And that's sometimes easier said than done. Because everything that's our old nature and everything that fights against us, namely the, the, our enemy, Satan, wants us to do nothing close to being obedient to God. And so we have these ingrained habits and these things that are hard to break that keep us from being obedient to God. And it's different for you than it is for me, I'm sure. You may have certain things in your life that that's your deal, That's just hard for me to be obedient to God in this area. Maybe it's, it's what I say, or maybe it's how I say it. Maybe it's what I think. Maybe it's what I watch. Maybe it's the things I do. Maybe it's the people I'm around. Whatever it may be, the world is not set up for you to be obedient to God. And yet he says that his will for us to remain in him involves us being obedient to him. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Another thing, you look at verse 8. As I said, we'll skip around just a little bit, but we'll hit the whole context of the scripture. My father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Part of us remaining in Him and feeding off of Him is that we produce fruit, evidence that we are who we say we are, that we are a Christian, that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And obviously there's lots of different sorts of fruit that we bear. Paul sort of summed it all up in Galatians 5. We looked at that a few weeks ago when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. It involves love, just genuine compassion toward other people joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. I mean, think about your life. Does it give evidence? And boy, this is a tough question for me a lot of times too. Does it give true evidence that I really am who I say I am? If Think about the people that, you, that you're around. And I'm not talking about making judgments on people. I'm just talking about sort of the, the old cliche, the numbers don't lie. Uh, you know, When you look at somebody's life And they claim to be one thing And yet there's no evidence of that whatsoever It would be as if I had pulled the wool over your eyes Claiming that I played baseball at Murray State University And yet if you looked up the records Or talked to anybody there They'd say, who? There's evidence there It may not be strong evidence that I was any good But evidence there that I was at least on the team And it's the same way in our own lives. Jesus said, if you're going to remain in me, part of that involves you producing and bearing, some of your versions may say, bearing fruit. There's some evidence on the outside of what's happened on the inside. And we're not talking about being legalistic and saying, well, you've got to do these things, or obviously you're not a Christian. That's not the point. But the natural outflow of what God has done on, on the inside of you is going to happen on the outside. Jesus highlights that. And another thing that he talks about is in verse 12. And he says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. This is a passage of scripture. It's just full of of really familiar verses. And somehow they don't seem to fit together because bear fruit, love one another, obey my commands, and you're my friend. Sometimes they don't seem to really fit together. But what he's going for here is here's what I want for you. Here's what remaining in me, your versions may say abiding in me, this is what it means. It means that you obey my word. It means that you produce fruit. It means that you love other people just as Jesus has loved us. And now, when I read this and, and understand those sorts of, I guess, principles, that this is what he's shooting for. This is what He's going for. He wants our joy to be made complete. And He tells us, in order for that to happen, we've got to remain in Him. And He tells us that remaining in Him is about obeying His Word, about producing fruit, about loving other people. And, and, and I understand all that with a head knowledge. And then I, my immediate question is, why? why? I, I don't know if you come to the Scripture much with questions. I hope you do. I hope that, that a lot of times when you read the Scripture that you wrestle with it a little bit. I hope that there are times when you just take it and say, you know, that's exactly what I needed, but I hope there are times when you interact with it a little bit. This is one of those passages I say, well, yeah, that's, that's great, but, but why? And I think he gives some pretty good, pretty good case for why should we remain in him? Why should we do these things? Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me other versions say apart from me you can do nothing why should we remain in him in the way that he's describing through obeying his word through producing fruit through loving one another because we're nothing without him absolutely nothing we convince ourselves and our world convinces us that we can be something without god and i I think that this is probably the biggest downfall of the american dream is that largely we can In everybody's eyes, we can largely be something apart from God. We can make enough money. We can have enough success. We can drive the right car. We can live in the right neighborhood. We can have the right letters behind our name. We can do all the right things. And in the world's eyes, be something. And yet, as we've talked before and quoted on several occasions, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Because when it comes right down to it, you and I both know, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir on this one, that apart from God, none of that other stuff matters. Is there anything inherently wrong with all of that? No. If you've got money, great. If you've got a great job, awesome. If you drive a nice car, good for you. But in and of itself, that doesn't amount to you being anything because the scripture is clear that apart from God, apart from Jesus, we are nothing. We amount to nothing. We are nothing. Now, you say, well, that's really encouraging. You told me this morning it was all about hope and compassion and forgiveness. Oh, goodness, now I'm nothing. But you know, the truth is that when Jesus says, that, apart from me, you can do nothing, He says, but with me, you can bear a lot of fruit. If I'm on your side, working in your life, you remain in me. If you remain in me, then the sky's a limit. But if not then a collapse is inevitable. Think back over your life, maybe recent, maybe long ago. But think back, maybe there was a time I've experienced this far more often than I'd like to admit, and I'm learning some of the things that I think God wants me to do to sort of keep this from happening. But, but have you ever experienced where there's this growing gap between who you sort of play like you are on the outside and what's really going on on the inside. Sort of over here is my public persona. And here's who I am, and here's who I am at church, and I'm at work, or I'm with my family. It's sort of, it's, it's my acting gig. This is what I do over here. But, but when I'm alone, it's different. And the, the, the greater the gap, the longer we allow that to go, the more we are apart from God, not remaining in Him, the bigger that collapse is going to be. You experienced that before? Maybe you have. Maybe your world didn't come crashing down and everybody found out about it, but you just knew there's this huge gap, this emptiness inside of me, because I'm not on the outside who I really claim to be, or, I, or on the inside who, who I am on the outside. And, and this collapse is inevitable. Jesus here telling them, look, remain in me, because apart from me, you're going to collapse. No matter how young or how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, if you don't stay close with God, if you don't abide in Him, remain in Him on a daily basis, that gap is going to widen. And eventually, you won't be able to support it, and it will collapse. Kind of like a sinkhole, where the ground below sort of erodes. Nobody can see it, and all of a sudden there's this big hole in the ground. What happened? Well it wasn't supported from underneath and so we will collapse without him but he wants us to close that gap and so he tells us look apart from me you can't do anything but with me everything is possible so why should we remain in him because without him we are nothing but also verse 7 highlights the fact that remaining in him increases increases rather the effectiveness of our prayer lives look at verse 7 if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you want It'll be done for you. Well, this is a verse we like to quote. and this would be great. And I just whatever I want God to tell you what. Man, I'm with church today, so let me give you my list. You know what, God? I hey, man, I read the Bible this morning. You know, I looked at Proverbs. I checked something out there. You know, I read some stuff. I prayed. I thought I even talked to somebody and said, hey, let me pray for you. That kind of stuff. All right, God. So here's my list. Not exactly the way that it works. But abiding in Jesus, remaining in Him, obedient to His Word, loving His people, producing fruit, greatly increases the effectiveness of our prayer life. I have no idea exactly how this verse will play out in your life. God may give you exactly what you want, or He may shape your desires in such a way that now what He wants is what you want, and how it all matches up. I don't know. But I know this. From experience in the Word of God, that when you are walking with God on a daily basis, your prayer life increases in effectiveness. Been there? And then there are times when I'm really not walking with God, and I try to talk to Him, and it's like talking to a stranger. Because I really haven't been remaining in Him. Not only does it increase the effectiveness of our prayer life, but verse 8 highlights the fact that remaining in Him allows us to glorify God. My Father, verse 8, is glorified by this that you produce, produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Our purpose for even being here and being created was to glorify God. Like it or not, it is what it is. I, 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 the more I'm, I'm around God and the more I am a Christian and the longer that I live, the more I understand that's exactly what I want is to glorify Him because by glorifying Him, I am completely satisfied and that's exactly what we all hope to be. But our purpose is to glorify God and in remaining in Him by obeying His Word, producing fruit, loving His people, then we can glorify God and fulfill our purpose. Not only does it glorify God, but it greatly impacts other people when we remain in Him. Look at verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And then look at verse 17. This is what I command you, sort of reiterating it, love one another. When you at work, at at school, at home, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, when you abide and remain in the Lord in this way, by producing fruit, by loving other people, it has a tremendous impact on them. I, I think about the people recently who have uh, perpetrated these different shootings and things like that. And, you know, part of it scares me half to death. I mean, i just be honest with you. You know, I, I think about the people that go to work in our community, and I just think, you know, I mean, if it can happen in Binghamton, New York, for crying out loud, it can happen anywhere. And, and, and I, just, I just think, what if, what if the Christians in our community, and I, I can only speak to us because that's the only platform I get, but I, what if the Christians in our community... Just genuinely loved other people just like Jesus has loved us. I can't say that it would stop everything. But I can guarantee it's going to have some sort of impact. Because I really believe that people that are like those folks, and I don't know their situations, but they've got to be feeling hopeless and without love. What if somebody interrupted the process? We don't even know who those people are. But what if somebody interrupted the process for them and just loved them In a real and tangible way, just as Jesus has loved us. And those people are probably the folks that you don't like. They're probably the people who are going to be hardest to forgive. They're probably the people who get on your nerves. They're probably the people who are a little bit strange. Not that that's anybody in here. But they're probably people who we at first glance would not reach out to and want to love. But think about the love that God has extended toward us in Jesus. Sinful, lost, depraved people who God should want nothing to do with. That's who he extended his love toward. Us. And he says, just in that same way, that's how I want you to love other people. With a pursuing love that goes after them and makes a difference in their lives. Verse 15 highlights the fact that remaining in him helps us understand his will. He says, I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. The longer that you hang around God and want to hear from him and listen to what he has to say and pursue him, the more you understand his will. I love those people who just seem to always know what God wants them to do. There never seems to be a doubt in their mind. This is what God has called me to do. I have total confidence. I love those people. And they only get there. They only fully understand God's will by remaining in him through obedience, through producing fruit, through loving other people. And Jesus says as we started, he sort of sets up this hinge point verse that remaining in him is the basis for our joy. Once again verse 11, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete this whole idea of remaining in him and obeying his word producing fruit comes down to the fact that Jesus knows it's the basis for our joy show me an angry angry person a person whose temper is really short a person who seems to be defensive and if that person is a Christian I'll show you that person is in sin guaranteed guaranteed I've been there you've been there We've got something to hide. We have no joy because we know we're not obeying God. We know we're not pursuing Him the way we should. And so as a result, we're defensive. We're angry. We're just torn up on the inside because something doesn't match up. Jesus said, look, here's the deal. I want your joy to be made complete. I want to put my joy in you. I don't want you to be that person who's torn up anymore. And it comes through just being obedient. It comes through following what I've told you to do. It comes through bearing fruit. It comes through loving other people. And so remaining in Him is the basis for that joy. And so my next question after, well, why should I do all that, is how? And we'll wrap up with this. I want to just give you, and and I, I, I I don't have specific verses for all this stuff, but just understand that these are just sort of universal as it pertains to God and Christianity. How do you then remain in Him? I want to make it simple. It's almost going to seem like we're in Sunday school. because, Like Sunday school, like kids Sunday school. Because this is so simple. This is, just, this is not hard stuff. But it's challenging because it requires something of us. How do you go about remaining in Him in this way so that all these things will happen that we've talked about, so that your joy can be made complete, so that you can obey God, so that you can produce fruit, so that you can love other people? How should you go about doing that? It's simple. One of the things is to pursue Jesus daily through prayer, Bible study and worship. I I heard it said once that uh, a lady that I heard speak one time, and she said, I never want my public worship of God to outpace my private worship of God. Uh, Think about it. How excited do you get when it's just you and God compared to maybe what you feel like when everybody else is around? Well, okay, now I can worship. And maybe you've seen that before, and maybe you know, I, I was a youth pastor for a long time. I saw that in, in students and I've seen it in adults. I, I want my public worship to be just a direct reflection of my private worship of God. The things I say about God in public, I want those to be the same things I'm saying to God in private. So how can I then pursue and and, and remain in God? One of those things is to pursue Him daily just through prayer, and Bible study, and worship. But in our world, I tell you, it's hard. It's hard to do. We've got a lot going on. You may be retired, but you've still got a lot going on. The world just throws stuff at you all the time. Every little thing you can pick up and do. You've got families. You've got kids. You've got grandkids. You've got jobs. You've got things that are going on. And so I would challenge you in this to set some goals. And, and, I, and I mean this. This is one of the things that, I, that I'm, I'm coming across that I think would be helpful in my own life, and I'm talking just spiritual goals. Maybe you would said, you know, I want to memorize a certain passage of Scripture. And I'm going to, by the end of this week, here's what I, this is what I'm going to do. Nancy and I have talked, and, and we're, we're trying to each gather 10 Scriptures, and over the next 20 weeks, we're going to memorize those 10 things, so that at least we've got something in the arsenal when things start to happen. I can pull something out when I need it. I've got a Scripture for that situation. So that when I'm not standing here in front of you and looking at my Bible, or when I'm not in my office able to read things or whatever, I'm out somewhere, I've got it. Maybe you'd set some goals like that. Maybe, maybe you would get together with some other believers, some other people, and, and just pray together on a weekly basis. I, I would absolutely, I'll, I'll open the doors for you if you want to meet here. I'm, I'm here, I'll open the doors. I, whatever you want. I'd love for this place to be undergirded with prayer from our people. Maybe you would... Uh, Follow. I know that it was interesting. I had a conversation with a guy the other day, a member of our church, who um, was telling me that that in uh, an interaction he was having with a um, uh, a doctor, that the doctor would always ask him, "What'd you learn about at church on Sunday?" And I and I I, I thought, "Well, man, that's a that's a great question." Well, this interaction happened on Tuesday. Now I, I realized that. By the time you leave tonight, you'll probably forget most of what I'm saying. You may remember, you may remember seeing a few red letters in your Bible. But what if, and, and, and I, maybe, maybe you could take some of what we talk about on a Sunday morning. You say, well, all right, how can I go about studying the Bible? Take the scripture that we study. You don't have to follow the outline I give you. Take the scripture we study and study it a little bit further. You need a guide for the week? Maybe you can do that so that not only would you have the right answer when somebody asks you, hey, what would your preacher preach about? Well, let me tell you. But also, maybe God would reveal a little bit more to you. So pursue Jesus daily through prayer, through Bible study, through worship. I know some of you maybe, you think, well, you know, is worship all about music? No, it's not all about music. Worship is about what you have to say and the attitude of your life toward God. Remove, uh, a second thing I think would be to remove obstacles from your path or change paths. Remove obstacles from your path, or change paths. And I think of different obstacles: obstacles of doubt, obstacles of sin, obviously, obstacles of laziness, of apathy, just not really caring. You know, one of the reasons that we're not more godly as a whole is because we don't want to be. I mean, think about it. Just, I'm being honest with. You, I'm not talking about you in particular. I'm just saying you know, that's just. You know, I heard a pastor say one time. He said, "You have as much of Jesus as you want." You've got as much of God as you really want. You know, that's the truth. I, boy, I've been convicted by that over and over and over again. But, you know, it's a sin of apathy, a sin of excuses. Well, I'm too young. Well, I'm too old. Well, you know what? That's for somebody else to do. I'm sort of past that. I've retired out of that. Or, you know, I'm just not, not there right now. Excuses, sin of the, the obstacle of excuses. There are the obstacles of people, obviously. There are some people in your life that just flat keep you from growing with God. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in a marriage where somebody's holding you back spiritually that now here's your excuse to get out of the marriage. God hates divorce. But here's what I'm saying. If there are people in your life that you are consistently putting yourself around on a voluntary basis that are hindering you over and over and over and over again from growing with God, you may want to consider changing that path just a little bit, removing that obstacle. Also, just the environment that you're in. I realize some of you work in some pretty rough environments, I'm sure, or used to. I know from teaching and coaching baseball, especially the baseball side of things, it's kind of a rough environment, and I'm, you know, talking about language and the, and the whole deal. And maybe you would say, you know what, I, I know that I'm, I'm supposed to be a light in this world, and yet I realize at the same time, this is killing me. This is keeping me from remaining in God. Maybe that's an obstacle to remove. And then thirdly, pursuing Jesus daily, removing those obstacles. And thirdly, and I think this is something that Jesus did, was just to surround yourself with people who are passionate about pursuing and being obedient to Jesus. Maybe, as I said, you just get together and pray together. You know, I know we have some folks whose schedules are flexible, and, you know, I think of some of our guys who've gotten together before to play basketball or something like that, you know, hey, you know, find a common interest, find something that that you can agree upon, get together, spend some time talking, hanging out, shooting basketball, whatever it is, and then pray together. See what God can do through that. Confess sin to somebody. I I tell you, I had a, I I have a a good friend who, who, um, uh, you know, on, uh, just I try to be accountable with him as best I can. I have a, a, a program that runs on my computer. This is just for you to know, I guess, and, and he, he gets the email about it. But a program that runs on my computer, my church computer, that sends him a, a bi-weekly report on the websites that I visit. And if there's anything questionable at all on that, he gets an email about it. And so far, there hasn't been anything questionable. Largely because I know he's going to get an email about that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you're accountable on things like that to somebody else. What keeps you sort of heading down the right path. Because we're all human. I'm just as prone to sin as anybody. And so I'm wanna, I want to put up those little those garters, those, those, those rails around what I'm doing. Maybe in those, with those people you learn from them, you teach them, you serve with them. I don't know what it is. I know that Jesus said that all these things about remaining in Him were for the purpose of bringing us joy that we can't even explain. And so wherever you find yourself, young, old, in between, way down the path with the Lord, just getting started, or with a big gap in between who you are and who you really want to be, remain in Him. Obey His Word. Bear fruit, the Bible says. Love other people. Do that through daily pursuing Jesus through Bible study. I'm not just talking about a glance at it, but Bible study. Through prayer, talk to God about everything. Through daily worship, through removing the obstacles in your path, or maybe just changing paths altogether if the obstacles won't go away. And then through surrounding yourself with people who, regardless of their age, are still passionate about following Jesus and finishing as strong as they can, no matter what stage of life they're in. And through all that, Jesus makes it clear that if you do those things, you remain in Him and He remains in you, You'll bear much fruit, the Bible says, and your joy will be made complete. Even in a tough economy, even when things don't go right for you, your joy will be complete because it will be based on Him.